Mr. Robot Season 3, Episode 10 is over, but our coverage of the Mr. Robot finale continues here on Post Show Recaps. Hello, everybody. I'm Josh Wiggler, and thank God I'm not alone this time. I am here with a man fresh from the Barbados, I believe, right? That's where you were, Antonio Mazzaro? Yeah, I was. I was working on my book. Yeah, I had a real hacking cough, and now that you asked me to return, I decided I would. What's the name of your book? What are you working on with those damn meaty hands? You'll have to just wait. Well, look, stay tuned to Post Show Recaps for more coverage of my book. We'll, we'll, oh do, my a podca- God. we'll do a podcast about the book. Yeah. Oh, my God. An Antonio Mazzaro full-on uh, audiobook here on Post Show Recaps is something I am here for. I am prepared for that. That's something I want in my life. Who said it was an audiobook? It's going to be both. Ooh. It's interactive. This is 2017, baby. I love that news. All right. Well, I hope you guys love this news as well. Antonio and I are clearly back after a couple of days removed from the season three finale of Mr. Robot. Of course, we've had some coverage for you guys already. If you haven't checked it out, you're missing out. We had some really fun interviews with two of the actors who are involved in Mr. Robot. The outgoing Omar Matwali as Agent Santiago. And this one, I mean, this this one was really ridiculous. I can't believe that we got Martin Wallstrom. Tyrell Wellick was on the podcast just a couple of days ago. I just only my only wish is that you had been there with me, Antonio. But it was a it was a really sweet deal. It was pretty amazing. Do you think he used his blue murder microphone? <laughs> yes. like, do you think he got a special microphone? He was sitting in a car. He said. Yeah, I don't know if he was, was he sitting in a car during the conversation. Oh, that's a good like, question. I don't know I about that. Tell, yeah. I couldn't tell. It's hard to it, say. Hard to say. Either way, if you have not listened to those podcasts yet, you really ought to. Uh, I thought, especially the Tyrell conversation was was really really fun. Uh, we've got those all up on our feed. Postshowrecaps.com slash robot is how you subscribe and find all of those podcasts. And we've got this one for you, and we've got one more in the uh, in the planning stages. We're in like stage two or three of the planning. On uh, at this point with Coradana, outgoing writer, producer on Mr. Robot. We're going to have one more podcast conversation with him. And then I think we're probably going to be done for the season, would be my guess. I think we've got today's podcast where we're going to do our normal deep dive that we have not yet been able to provide. And then we'll have uh, one more with Cora. So if you've got questions for Coradana, you've got a little bit of time. It's looking like we're recording that on Tuesday, December 19th in the evening, East Coast time. So you have until then. Send us your questions and comments, anything that you've got for one of the writer-producers of this show, postshowrecaps.com slash feedback is our feedback form, and Mr. Robot at postshowrecaps.com is our email address. Um, Antonio, how are you feeling? Are you okay? You've been under the weather. Like I said, I had a hacking cough, and you asked me to return, and here I am. So, uh, I don't know. No amount of hacking can take me down, and, and I, I mean, I don't know how many more hatchet uh, or or attack words I can use. I'm feeling fine. I had a frog in my throat, Josh. The frog yeah. is gone. No more the Pepe. The frog is gone. Okay. more <laughs> No more Pepe in your throat. Antonio, we have not really... I mean, honestly, I haven't like necessarily given my takes on the Mr. Robot finale either. More just speaking with the, the two aforementioned actors and kind of getting some insight into their process. So I would love to, you know, before we even dig into what happened in the finale, just overall broad strokes, how did you feel about it? How did you feel about how this propulsive season three came to an end? I felt great. Uh, it was certainly, uh, I loved the, what we saw out of Irving in that scene. We got to see full Bobby Cannavale, which is something that I had been hoping for and was really glad to see. We got a lot of the emotional beats with Angela and Price and Elliot talking about what happened in the day they made Kevin McAllister that I think we'd been anticipating. I thought the stuff between Elliot and Robot was great. And we got a, I think a very, uh, I, Irving was complaining about Gore Vidal, or wasn't Gore Vidal, uh, or Irving was complaining 
complaining earlier about uh, the book he was reading when he said ultimately that it, it had it didn't did let him down in the ending. You need a big ending. He was saying in a re- very meta way, uh, and we got it. We got a very big ending. So it was certainly there was certainly a lot of destruction and damage. I am curious though, Josh. We didn't get one big thing that you'd been talking about a lot. So I have been waiting with bated breath, and that breath has been baited by cough drops and vitamin C uh, for what your take is on not seeing uh, something that you have been hoping to see some glimmer of with Angela and White Rose. So I'm very curious as to your takes overall. I think that just in terms of where Angela was physically in the story and the information that needed to be conveyed to her through the Philip Price scene, that it wasn't really it wasn't really possible i think for her to like completely open up on what she what she saw what white rose has convinced her on i do think just like in terms of like the the story economy time is really running out on that uh for me in terms of like the next few episodes that we see angela in as far as where she was in the finale and what she was involved in i think it's okay uh like my feelings on it are status quo i'm not like brutally triggered by it i'm not like totally wound up about it that we haven't heard from Angela yet what she saw uh, when White Rose spent 20 some odd minutes convincing her to join the White Rose cause uh, any more so at least than I was coming into the finale. Uh, I'm feeling fairly level-headed about it. But look, if you want to work me up, you know, it's not going to take much effort, Antonio. I'm not going to do that. I don't want to. I don't want to like just uh, spin you into a crooked frenzy. I don't want to have that happen. We can. Uh, there's more than enough on this finale that we can get worked up about in a different direction. So I think we I should focus believe, on the good. Yeah, I can't. And I can't believe that you know we are you know a few minutes into this podcast already at this point, and we haven't even given each other a hug yet. It's been so long overdue. I'm a hug you. Yeah, uh, we're both uh, savage and brave travelers here. So a hug is a hug is certainly in order. Uh, are you dressed like Macklemore from Thrift Shop? Because that would be <laughs> what I would need to uh, have happen before I was ready to hug. Yeah, no, I am not. I am in uh, pajamas today, just to give you guys all just a little the bit of insight into, <laughs> into my process. Yeah, yeah right. just you know, some bananas and pajamas going on Seven over and a here. half cents. Doesn't matter a heck of a lot. Indeed. All right. Well, Fernando Vera, back in the picture. I'm sure we'll talk about that in deeper detail when we get to the final scene of, uh, of this season finale. But that's, you know, that's like the, to me, that's almost, uh, the biggest headline of the, of the event. Is it some, that's something that you and I have been waiting for for a long time. A lot of Mr. Robot fans have been waiting for as well. The post credit scenes on these seasons of Mr. Robot are always at least somewhat, um, informative of where the arc of the next season is going. And in fact, I think that I, I underplayed that just now. I mean, the season one post credit scene is Price and White Rose and finally seeing that there is like this top 1% uh, that we're going to be really digging into in the future of the show. And that comes to dominate a lot of season two and certainly has dominated a lot of season three as well. Season two's post credit scene is Trenton and Mobley talking about, can we undo the damage done at 5-9? Like, can we undo the hack? And that ended up being the big thrust of the final stretch here of Mr. Robot season three. So with Fernando Vera being the big surprise in the post credit scene for season three kind of feels like that's going to be a very important deal for season four no like you would think that elliot villar the actor who plays Fernando vera gotta imagine like series regular maybe wow season four? 
Yeah, it's funny because I would say the role that Vera has occupied in the show to date uh, has has not been one that I would say you can really sustain over a whole season. And we had feedback from Andrew about this, and Andrew said, "While I'm excited from the return of for the return of Vera, don't you think he's pretty much small potatoes at this point?" Elliot is after the one percent of the one percent. Some dime store drug dealer shouldn't even be a blip at this point. And I think dime store drug dealer is not doing Fernando Vera much justice. But I would say I, it. it seemed to me at least on the surface that the bigger point of the of this final scene wasn't actually vera it was what elliot or what angela sorry what i'm sick what darlene and her new friend were discussing on the street about how maybe this hack undo won't actually fix anything and we need to take a longer look at this uh, that seems to me the bigger seed for what would happen in season four i would think on the surface that vera is a, is something that will be dealt with in very quickly vera is a propulsive force i don't think he's something you can put in this season over the course of a whole season and expect him to just be on the show i mean he was a meth smoking crazy drug dealer who was murdering people and abusive and he was a he burned very fast and very hot. So I'll be very interested to see if there is a way to bring him into this story that requires or necessarily involves him being around for the whole season. Because the way I see it right now, just like in season one, he's probably a two episode arc or three episode arc at most to be dealt with. But maybe there's a way that Elliot has to be on the same page with him for one reason or another. I'm fascinated to find out where he's been. What's he been up to in this post five nine world? What has a guy like Vera done after the hack to make his money or to find his way and savagely traveling throughout the, the, the hellscape that has become the post 5.9 and post 7.1 world. So I, I'm I'm interested to see because on the surface, it seems like it sh- this should be a one or two episode thing. So him in the whole season, I don't know. All right. So I spoke with Sam Esmail, creator of the show for The Hollywood Reporter, and asked him a lot about the Fernando Vera of it all. Of course, how could you not? And I asked him, is season four going to be the season of Vera? He says, I don't want to give away any spoilers, but Vera definitely plays a critical part in the next season. To me, that seems like that's more than two episodes. To me, that seems like this is going to be a character that's going to figure in in a fairly mighty way, which is exciting the, the, the possibilities involved with that because it's, it's hard to imagine exactly how does he fit neatly into the world of Mr. Robot as it currently exists, as you've articulated very well, I think. Um, and so it makes you wonder, like, what is his role going to be? What impact is he going to have? And how would he serve as anything other than a distraction when Mr. Robot really has, um, you know, two seasons tops left in it and potentially only one. Actually, season four is a thing. It's been renewed. The show was renewed a couple of hours before the season three finale. But in speaking with Sam Esmail, I asked him if that five season arc remains the plan. And Esmail says it's always I've always said it's four or five seasons. And I've said that because I think it's somewhere in between whether that means the next two seasons are two short seasons seasons or it could technically still be two full 10 episode seasons we're still kind of figuring that out um so we don't know exactly when and where mr robot is going to land in terms of its ending but i think it's fair to say that we are now in the final act of the show like i think we are in that home stretch of the story and so to bring fernando vera back into the mix at this point in time in the narrative in what esmail is describing as a critical way i don't know that's exciting to me like is it something that Elliot is going to have to team up with some villain of like, you know, this street level evil against like this high powered corporate evil. Is he going to have to, you know, deal with the fact that there's like, 
normal evil in the world in addition to this like Illuminati level evil. I don't really know, but I feel like you can imagine the scene where much like in, I believe it's, it's episode five of season one, that episode that starts off with Fernando Vera in prison, right? And he's putting together how he got into prison and he is figuring out like he's seeing Elliot, right? Like he is seeing like, Oh, yeah, it was man, you. it was you. You did it. Like you, you got to imagine this is a guy who is going to see the five nine hack and the cyber bombings and with his like, bird's eye view vision that this man has he's like the three-eyed raven fernando ferry he's got, <laughs> he's got the green sight uh you know at least one of his products i'm sure gives you something akin to green sight yeah uh, probably ketamine yeah <laughs> so or, like, or dmt you think that he's probably going to have like some sort of vision for elliot's role in this and is he going to want to be involved like what is he going to want to gain from it um it's it's interesting to me but again to turn it back to to esmail one of the questions i asked him was does Vera's return signify the idea that even as the show's scope has expanded over these past couple of seasons, season four is going to start to narrow its focus, that the show is going to start getting a little bit smaller in a certain way. Uh, and he said, absolutely. That's essentially the pivot we're trying to make at the end of this season, that narrowing of focus. The first words Elliot said to us in the pilot were about the top 1%. By the end of this season, he finally realizes who they are and he wants to target them. At the same time, I've always said the show is about Elliot's internal and emotional journey. Vera hits that button, given the huge loss Elliot suffered in the first season, and really, I would say, his only true connection we've seen in the show, his connection with Shayla. This absolutely brings clarity to Elliot's mission moving forward into the next season. Um, so that's basically all that is being said on the Vera of it all for the time being uh, from the powers that be involved with this show. But I'm excited. I'm certainly open-minded to it. Look, this season was so awesome that I am willing to give these guys a lot of rope in terms of where they want to take it next. Yeah, and I, I think I'm most excited by the idea that a character that we see, as we were saying, somebody who burned very fast and hot on the show is now going to be a critical part of the next season. That requires Elliot to put aside a lot of anger that he might have have over Shayla. Uh, I don't know how he could do that. I know Elliot is in this more Zen-like frame of mind where he's laser focused and targeting the narrow, uh, the narrow net that is the 1% of the 1% and not doing these larger societal things. I understand that. However, he is going to be really sidetracked by Vera showing up. I can't imagine that Vera is going to show up and say, yeah, let's go after him together, bro. Like, I don't think that that's something that is going to happen easily. So if Vera has built some network or something that Elliot can take advantage of if he's tapped into something? Is Vera going to be muscle? Like, what's going to, what, what role could that possibly play? And thinking about just from a character standpoint, what it requires Elliot to put aside or the emotions it requires Elliot to table to work with someone like Vera, there's a lot to be dealt with there. So there's a lot of meat for the, the people in the Mr. Robot writer's room, I think, to work with. If, if Vera is conceived to be a major part of this story, there are a lot of emotional things that is going to have an impact on Elliot. So I'm fascinated to see that play out just because from a, from, you know, a hundred feet away, it just seems like Vera's a guy that uh, you, you can't have him exist for a long time on this show. He's somebody that's going to have to be dealt with pretty quickly. And I just don't see, I mean, maybe he's got his shit together. And like I said, he's not whatever meth or crack or whatever he was smoking. He's not no, so burnt out on that, that he's willing to just do what he did before, because otherwise he's a guy that I just don't understand how Elliot can coexist 
exist with him. Uh, and it seems more like something Elliot will have to deal with before he moves on. So it'll be fascinating to see what this writer's room comes up with for Vera, uh, because Josh Elliott is in a different place now. We leave Elliot at the end of this finale in a place where he is narrowly focused, and he and Mr. Robot are on better terms, and they seem to have come to a better understanding about reintegration when the theme throughout this season was disintegration. So I am fascinated to see how that all plays out with a new Elliot and a newly found focus. Uh, I just don't know. This seems like an old problem that he has to deal with before he can really move on, but for, for it to be something different is uh, fascinating to me. Well, I think that the show, and I think that this is something that Esmail is talking about, I think that the show is now less about Elliot versus like, um, you know, fighting the man in quotes and now Elliot fighting like a human being or human beings, like actually fighting right. individuals and coming after like the top 1% of the top 1%. And that means like the Philip Prices and White Roses. <laughs> and I guess in a way, like Vera, like if it's now less about Elliot fighting organizations and more about Elliot fighting against people, then I think it makes sense to bring Ver- Fernando Vera back into the mix and, you know, have him really going up against his rogues gallery. Um, um, and then to even imagine, like, can Fernando Vera provide some utility to the Dark Army or to Philip Price? So it's going to be interesting to see how that all how that all plays together. Uh, the other thing, too, before we just like leave this, I know we're starting at the end, but it's just I, I feel like it's such a big deal that we should talk about it before we talk about anything else uh, is. So when when season two offered up its post credit scene, it was like Trenton and Mobley are now being uh, lorded over by Leon, who is a man that at that point we knew as Dark Army and was was responsible for at least a few deaths. Certainly deaths we were happy about, but deaths all the same. Butt and stabbings. We were, you know, butt stabbings for sure. And so we were nervous about the potential butt stabbings that were coming towards Trenton and Mobley. And then earlier in this in this past season, in season three, I think the show very cleverly like disarmed us a little bit, only for them to die very, very shortly after their meeting with Leon. Um, just makes me very nervous in terms of like like that ethos, like Vera crossing paths with Darlene Alderson. You know, the, the, like the, the mechanics of how we were left with this season. Darlene is standing outside of Elliot's apartment, which we know Elliot is inside of right now. And Fernando Vera is pulling up and confronting her right there. And it's like, yikes, what is going to happen? Like, should we like, you know, this episode really put us through the ringer as far as Darlene was concerned and really thinking that maybe her time was up and she managed to, she managed to pull through like, I'm, I don't know. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm still triggered by the whole Shayla thing, I guess, but I'm like, I'm very nervous about Fernando Vera pulling up to Darlene and that being the last thing we're seeing, we're seeing here in this season, given how, how it, how it worked out for Leon pulling up into, into Trenton and Mobley's world, how that all worked out. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what your, what your feelings are on the matter. No, I mean, Darlene was involved. Uh, she was Vera adjacent in season one. She never came into contact with Vera directly. And I believe the people that she came into contact with via Vera's group are now all dead. Uh, I'm not 100% sure on that if any of those people can remember her or specifically identify her. It did seem like the car full of people clocked her in a way after they passed her. There was this moment where the car sort of slowly passed and then sped up. Uh, so I don't know for a fact that, that Vera knows who Darlene is, but I think that he probably does. And she doesn't know necessarily who he is directly, even though she has been involved and was 
was adjacent to the people that were in his crew. So I do have some fears for that. It's interesting because if you want to talk about the season two scene, as I said earlier, I think the bigger part uh, thematically of what was happening in this scene with Darlene is the discussion about whether or not redoing the the E-Corp data, in other words, giving them access to everyone's debt and files, will actually do anything. And Darlene starts talking about how, well, maybe the economy will recover a little bit, and at least that'll be good. People won't be so out on the streets. And Darlene's friend is saying, well, listen, I don't know what my student loan debt being back is going to do for me. I don't know how that's going to help. So, And she's talking about Marxist forces and how Darlene doesn't really understand and how she's being too simple-minded about everything. I think that, like Frederick and Tanya, like our like our son and uh, Trenton talking about how we can undo the 5-9 hack, it, being part of that post-credit scene and being a major theme of season three, whereas the Leon in, involved with them was a major like story, like are they going to die or not? I think the same thing is happening here. I think we're seeing a season four theme established with the discussion about how undoing 5-9 isn't going to really fix everything. And then we're seeing this narrative point with Darlene coming into contact with Vera being a thing that's going to really be a concern for what's going to happen with the direct plot, not just necessarily the theme of the next season. So I think it's very similar to season two in that way as well, and that there's an overarching thing that's being presented, and there's this direct narrative story thing to be concerned about that's being presented. I, too, am worried about Darlene. I drafted her in the death draft, uh, and I didn't win that. We'll talk about that throughout the course of this episode for sure. But uh, but I still don't know that her long-term future on this show is ensured. There's still a vengeance pact, and I don't think we need Vera to kill Darlene. I think Elliot already has great reason to have major problems with Vera, something we know from the beginning of this season when he saw his 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 wall of murders that he was responsible for, Shayla being front and center for that. I don't think Elliot's forgotten that. He still hides out in Shayla's apartment. He still thinks about her. So I, I do think that uh, that that Elliot doesn't need more reason to be mad at Vera. I think Darlene will survive, but I don't know where we go immediately from this. And so I'm I'm very interested to see how that plays out. Do you uh, you mentioned the the death draft? Do you have an update on how how that all worked out for us? I, I know don't. That have, I, why don't you just just glow? Just tell well, me how. It I, well, out. I know that I took I took Santiago and I got Santiago, but I didn't get Irving and I took Irving. I, yeah. I forget who you got other than other than. Uh, I don't remember either. Uh, yeah. Unfortunately, I don't remember yeah, either. Yeah. Well, uh, probably somebody major. So it's probably one. my fault. Yeah, you got one. I guess yeah. if I had drafted Grant, then uh, then maybe I would have scored as well. But I don't remember that I did. So, all right. Well, I'll try and dig that up while we're talking. Yeah, here, I, dra- I think I drafted Cisco, is who I drafted. So I won. I won so. <laughs> Wait, time travel didn't happen. That's not confirmed. Maybe I so. drafted Flipper. I don't know. <laughs> it's possible. That seems like something I would do. Oh, my God. All right. Shall we start digging into this episode specifically? Let's start getting into Let's start getting into it in chronological order, at least, is what I mean. And we begin this episode. Um, really, it, it does feel like it's the second part of a two-part finale. Alley, uh, where you know we left the penultimate episode of season three with Grant and White Rose talking about the possibility of Elliot Alderson has to die, and then we begin with the Dark Army raiding Elliot's apartment. And very luckily for Elliot, he's got like this bonus apartment next door yeah. that he can hide out in. I don't understand how that's possible, by the way. That Elliot has like basically just like 
lucked into a two bedroom, uh, you know, like a, like a two apartment, like duplex, like, you know, a suite. Uh, it just doesn't, it's not a duplex. It doesn't count need, as a duplex. need to ask the blob, Josh. Uh, couldn't rent it out. There's a lot of problems renting, I think, in this post 5.9, post 7.1 world. And, uh, that's been talked about throughout the course of this season that the, the landlord is having problems renting the apartment. Elliot has access there. So, so far, it's still provided this uh, refuge for him. Was he just kind of chilling there and that's when the Dark Army showed up? Or do you think he had some sort of scope that led him to immediately retreat there with Flipper. Yeah, I don't know. By the way, uh, just looking up the death draft really quickly, I had Santiago, then you had Darlene, yeah. then, you, then you picked Tyrell? I forgot uh, about that. Oh, yeah. Uh, that was, was, I don't know, was that before or after the hack had been, or the 7-1 incident had been executed? I still, by the way, I know you had a great talk with Martin Wallstrom here at Post Show Recaps and, uh, for THR, and uh, I, that was a great podcast. I love hearing from that guy. He's so different than Tyrell. I still don't know what role he can really play in the story going forward so I think that's why I drafted him then and I stand by that I I don't know if if Tyrell plays a role in the show I think it'll be interesting to see how the the writers thread that needle but uh he's I guess he's the embedded uh CTO of evil yeah. Corp. so yeah I don't know what a, is I feel it? like that's a big deal potentially but he doesn't want to take down evil Corp anymore we got to focus on Philip Price and now we have a a main line to Philip Price so I really don't understand where what role, what role Tyrell will play in and maybe he just knows the the people that are the real heavy hitters. I guess I don't know. He's we'll gonna t- he's gonna take down Philip Price, and then he's gonna inherit e- Evil Corp. He's gonna be the king of Evil Corp. And king then he'll have to kill he'll have to kill Tyrell too. I yeah. don't know. Anyway, yeah. that's probably why I picked Tyrell. Yeah. So you picked Tyrell, then I picked Irving, and then I picked Mobley to be my safety. Oh, <laughs> my well, safety yeah. pick. I'd say that undoes your Santiago win. <laughs> I think it probably does. And then you picked uh, DDP uh, to be to be safe. And yeah, that but was... I'm not I'm not liking how that played yeah. out. Yeah, yeah it did, I'm not, didn't I'm play not out sure great. I got real safety on that one. Didn't play out well. Yeah. Sorry, guess, DDP. It's yeah, my dep- fault. Depends on your definition of safety. Yeah. Um, oh, but all right. So, so Grant is cost. raiding Elliot's apartment here. Uh, Elliot is luckily next door. Uh, the Dark Army ends up leaving, and Elliot is realizing that uh, Darlene is not picking up the phone, so she might be in trouble. If they're targeting me, they're going to target her next. Uh, and then as he's leaving, the camera pans down to this white blank disc on the floor, and we get the Mr. Robot title card reveal and at the time i was kind of thinking like this is a pretty underwhelming title card reveal slash what is that white disc and of course we're going to know by the end of the episode that yeah it's the key to everything it's the recovery blanks disc recovery yeah, yeah it is uh it's right there i wondered the same thing like what who's on the white disc because so many of elliot's discs as we know when he hacks somebody and when he burns their files onto a disc and deletes them he gives it a name he, he writes uh either it's bruce springsteen or it's dj mobley or it's someone like that a led zeppelin or pink floyd but we see in this particular instance that there's nothing written on it. And that's interesting. That makes it different than everything else that Elliot has done. So it makes you wonder, like, is this his own file? Is this something else that is about something that's going to be a major story reveal? And I think it's a great way to start the episode, knowing what we know about what what is on the discs that Elliot has and how he labels them once he's done them. So I thought that was great. Uh, was that you think it was Grant's plan? If Elliot had been in that apartment, would they have just killed him on the spot? Or were they always going to drag him upstate? Uh, to do their dirty work because uh, this is something that Elliot is saved at the 11th hour by the information he provides to White Rose via the eye in the sky. I don't think Grant was going to kill him on the spot. I think their plan was probably always to drag him upstate to that barn and do the, do the dirty work there. I bet that's right because I think that White Rose wanted the opportunity to like 
see Elliot from a distance, you yep. know, at, at, at the very least one last time yep. because she's so fascinated with this guy that I think that she would probably want to have eyes on his death at the very least to see if there's anything new and unusual that is produced in the process, right? Like to see how he reacts when he is like a, the wild animal thrashing on the ground, as it were, as uh, Omar Metzwali described Santiago's final moments. Um, so I think, I think it's that. Like, I, I don't think that he would have just been blapped in the face you know, immediately. Right. Like, I don't think that he would have just been shot right then and there. I don't think so either. I, I do agree with you. I just wanted to make sure we were on the same page. All right. So, uh, speaking of Santiago, uh, this, this whole sequence was incredible, uh, where we, we go, we, we check in on the FBI and Darlene is, is still obviously, uh, in custody and she's asleep. Santiago turns off the camera, wakes her up, uncuffs her, puts like the, you know, the, the bracelets on her. Like, this feels fishy right away. If I'm Darlene, we're like, I don't know what you're doing, but this doesn't seem legit. Jit. Darlene uh, gets the fishy, yeah. Yeah, she gets the fishy for this week. I think Santiago gets the fishy. Uh, but Dom is... gets the fishy. I think so, too. So Dom is realizing that something is amiss as well because she's about to hand off her file on Darlene's arrest to a colleague that she thinks is supposed to be taking all of this on. And then the guy's like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Santiago is, uh, is taking... You know, Santiago isn't even here anymore. Uh, and Dom sees that Darlene is gone. The tape is gone. She's starting to piece it together, but she doesn't piece it together enough to like come at Santiago gun drawn. And man, if only, if only instead she gets clocked. You talked about getting clocked earlier. Uh, Santiago is going to be able to, to punch Dom's daylights out. Uh, and that's, that's a hell of a scene. Like that's a, I love, I loved seeing this character, seeing Santiago like really pushed into the corner in this episode. Like it was such a great payoff for a lot of buildup about this guy being the mole and just like watching over the course of the season, the news titan and just seeing this guy sweat and seem so like, sick with nerves at all times at every corner. Uh, and here he is in this moment, uh, just pushed all the way into the corner and in being pushed into the corner, he moves forward. And, uh, as Omar Metzwali said, he has the one move. He's got the one shot and he takes it and he, he knocks her out. And at that point I'm like, Oh God, this could be, this could be very, very bad indeed. Yeah. It's not pleasant. <laughs> it really, it's, it's a moment where you're already feeling bad for Darlene and really worried about her. As we talked about just from the course of this season and everything that's been built up over, over the season with her. And then just the, the very immediate nature of him removing the memory card of, of him taking her into custody off camera, of him dragging her away and knowing full well that, that he's got to take care of her and take her off the board because of the information that she has. On the other hand, in hindsight, what was she really threatening that they can undo five nine like that is not something that the dark army ultimately cared about so what this guy was doing was going all in on a gambit that maybe if he'd run it up the chain a little more it wouldn't have ultimately ended in his death because the dark army didn't ultimately care about undoing five nine as grant says later in the episode like that's already served its purpose like we got the congo to happen we got what we wanted we punished philip price we slapped him on the wrist that we we don't need to we don't need any more out of five nine it can be undone so i do think it's interesting that if maybe santiago had just taken a breath and taken a beat and worked with irving instead of going out on his own this never would have happened so here we are though he does take this action and he does go to this to these lengths to do what he was doing and then we end up where we end up and it's really bad for darlene as we're in those in this moment and i started worrying about ddp for sure but i thought okay it's 
great that DDP is in this because if anyone's going to get the drop on this guy, if anyone's going to find their way out of this, it's a federal agent who can probably shoot him down as soon as she gets her hands on a gun, uh, who's really probably very incentivized to do all that. So I felt good, actually, about DDP being in the mix. Well, I, I think to your point about if Santiago had just kind of run this up the food chain a little bit more, like that's, I feel like, how does he have that perspective on things? You know, he's been at the Dark Army's beck and call for God knows how long at this point. And as far as he knows, 5-9 is at least partly, you know, co-authored by uh, by Dark Army. So I think for him, anyone who is like coming at, uh, you know, who's threatening this massive attack that was undertaken by the Dark Army, how is he going to know that they don't really care? So I don't know. If they, I don't know if that that it's in character for that character to like stop and take a breath. And at oh, this it's point, definitely not. Right. Yeah, yeah, like he's so panicked at this point anyway. Um, it's definitely yeah. not. I'm just looking at the irony yeah, of the fact yeah. that if he had not gone into agency for himself or if he had actually right. been a soldier instead of a leader uh, and if he had just said, not my decision to make, I better kick this up the chain instead of taking that agency, maybe he'd still be alive. Like if he calls Irving, he goes, hey, Irving, yeah. so, so Darlene's here? Right. And it seems like she knows how to do the five, undo the five nine hack. What do you want? me to do about that right you know and, and i think yeah. part of the problem too is that darlene was his liability and as he reveals later in the episode he never revealed to the dark army that she had been working as a confidential source so part of it is he's probably not kicking that up the chain because he's covering in his own mess uh and so it, in a way it's his, it's his own humanity that probably is result is res, results in his death i mean it's also his, his humanity that results in his death because he's pleading for ddp santiago's clearly are not or irving has clearly already made up his mind before they even go outside he's got the names and the, the cities written down of of ddp's uh, family members so this has been his plan probably from the jump he hated santiago he always thought he was a problem but uh, i just think it's interesting when you look back and see where he ended up what were his decision points along the way that could have maybe changed his outcome and i think this is one that could have influenced it but you're right i don't expect that it would have been in the realm of appropriateness for this character to do it uh, and I think that the the character that we saw was a guy who I think, as Omar Metwali put it really well, was probably felt cornered throughout. And I think it's interesting to talk about this because we know where DDP ends up by the end of this episode. And we can really kind of predict what her future might look like going forward. So I think it's important to track Santiago's mistakes that ended him in the place that it ended, because I think we have to be concerned about DDP making some of those same mistakes. And I think that that is that's something that if, if it's me, I'm looking at what what got Santiago where he is. I'm looking at that in part because I'm worried about how DDP might do the same things that could lead to her demise. All right. So Elliot is going to be searching for Darlene at their rendezvous point, which is F Society in Coney Island. And she is not there. And he's freaking out. He thinks that she's probably toast or she's very close to it. And he is not coming up with an answer quickly enough and he needs to he needs to get himself together uh and by getting himself together i mean he needs to talk to his separate half he needs to finally communicate with mr robot he needs to get back on the same page with his alter ego uh and he's going to be able to do that by getting on the ferris wheel here at coney island which is of course a great throwback to the first season of the show did you like that this was how they finally reconnected that this was the way that they were finally able to speak was it a little too easy i'm curious about your thoughts on all that yeah i don't know it uh it it, it didn't seem too easy to me why do you think that it might have been 
I think that just like the idea that, you know, after all of this time of being away, like you would think that there would be something that was more of an engine to getting them back together. Um, and maybe I'm underrating the fact that this was kind of the first place where they had a real quote unquote adult conversation, at least as far as we had seen in the show of these two characters finally um, meeting and starting the F society plan together, like Elliot getting looped into what Mr. Robot had been planning all along at this point was on this Ferris wheel was that very iconic conversation yes. in the first episode. Yeah. And I, the thing is, I, I like that what we, where we ended this episode made me, I think, feel in hindsight that this wasn't too easy. That it, we, we talked about with Elliot and Mr. Robot, we see them basically saying, like, the reason that we haven't been talking is I'm afraid of you. We see it in this scene and we, we have it by the end that they're really kind of, it's, it's mainly Elliot being afraid of what talking to Robot might mean. And I think it's fascinating because what we've seen evolve over the course of this season and, and I think contrast to season two, which is the first part, the first half of act two of this show, as you talked about. In act two, Elliot is doing everything he can to get rid of Mr. Robot. He's doing all these things, taking drugs, going to jail, blah, 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 blah. But as we see in the second half of act two in season three, Elliot talks about how he kind of liked it. He liked some of these things. He liked the elements of Mr. Robot being around. He liked the idea that, that he had this. He actually... I was good at it. Yeah, he was good at it. The Heisenberg element. As we talked about on this podcast and so maybe it wasn't that elliot couldn't get rid of mr robot it's that he didn't want to and i think that's a very fitting conclusion to come to throughout all of this based on what we saw in season three the second half of act two. First half of act two is what what do i need to do to get rid of this guy and the second half of act two in season three is maybe i don't want to get rid of this guy maybe it's since i'm the one that's manifesting him let's look inward let's look inside at the things that are causing me to want to keep him around i'm the one who brought him in why did i do that why did i bring him here what does it mean for me to have this guy in my life and i think that was what this finale did really well which is deal with that question so if it's easy that elliot can just buy a ticket and he shows up on the ferris wheel and we get that great symmetry which we also get later in the episode with the subway train and with the subway platform I'm okay with that because it's more about, I think the, the, the end of that story is ultimately why Elliot brought Mr. Robot in and why he's kept him away. He's afraid. And I, I thought that that was a great revelation in this particular scene. Uh, and Elliot's talking about how right before that happens, he's in the arcade. I brought this on myself. I'll never learn. This is on me. He's talking about his own agency in all of this. And I like the idea that it was his agency that was ultimately keeping Robot away, just as it was his agency that brought Robot into the mix. So he was concerned that there's a part of him that brought down the 71 buildings, that there was some part of his personality that was okay with that, that would have done that. I mean, you can imagine if you were Elliot, that that might be something that you wouldn't want to confront, that that might be something you would run from, even to the detriment of the world around you. And the problem with, with this situation now is Elliot has reached the point where it has really come home to roost in the fact that if he keeps Mr. Robot away, then he has to deal with the fact that Darlene's death might directly be on him. He has to confront Mr. Robot here. He has to talk to him. 
because if he doesn't, then he's going to be directly responsible for the death of his sister. And he doesn't want that on his head. So he has to bring this in. And I, I really love the scene. I was a little concerned, though, Josh. Did you notice when he first gets on the Ferris wheel and we see the longer shots or the, the not the, the not close up shots, the longer shots? It, it says danger over his head, uh, right over Elliot's head, not on Mr. Robot's side, but on Elliot's side. It says danger. It also says do not swing in car. I don't know what that's about. <laughs> Hands and arms inside the car at all times. These are but just safety instructions. Yeah, you know? That's all it is. There's no there's <laughs> nothing more it. to this. Just danger. No, yeah. look, obviously, Elliot Alderson is in massive danger at all times, but we shouldn't be like truly fearful for his mortal safety until the very end of the show. But when we get to the very end of the show, be deeply afraid. <laughs> I, think is, I think it is well worth being, uh, you know, being on board with the idea that Elliot might not make it out of Mr. Robot alive, but there is no world in which he doesn't get to the final episode of this show. Yeah, I think you're right. I just, uh, I thought that was interesting that maybe it, maybe bringing robot into his world brings the danger, uh, that Mr. Robot is the danger. He's the one who knocks. So I, I do think that that's interesting that in the context of that scene, it, it is, uh, it, the danger, Elliot is inviting the danger to his side by bringing robot into the mix. Are you still buying? Did you buy? And we talked about this a little bit, uh, when we talked to, to take a drink, Corridana earlier in the season, it, Mr. Robot was really in the dark about the 71 are you this is on the level here i i don't know i think so i think i do i want to buy the what the finale is selling in terms of the relationship between elliot and mr robot because i think it's really beautiful and powerful and i want it to be real and what that is is this idea that as much as mr robot exists within elliot Elliot exists within Mr. Robot. I thought that that was a really kind of breathtaking reveal and runs counter to a lot of certainly the positions that I had taken in our earliest podcasts talking about this show, how I have talked in the past about Mr. Robot being Elliot's pure unbridled id and just being like the fiendish side of Elliot and the darkest impulses uh, and being his rage pure and incarnate. And that is it. Um, and to, to have this idea of humanity you know, and warmth and, uh, you know, a belief in others and in goodness, even in a small way existing within that side of Elliot. I love that. I think that that's so great. And so in that vein, I really want to believe it. I mean, I definitely do have it in my notes uh, where where Elliot says the 71 buildings and Mr. Robot says, I didn't know about that. And Elliot says, if you did, would you have done it? Would you have done it? And Mr. Robot goes, I would have. I would have found another way. I have right next to that. Do we believe him? Well, uh, not know. to mention the line delivery. The line delivery by Christian Slater. Elliot says, "Would you have done it?" And Mister Robot says, "I would have." I would have found another way. Like he, there's a pause between the initial I would have, which is almost its own statement. And then he says, I would have found another way. So yeah, the yeah. ellipsis there that, that, that is in the line read by Christian Slater. I feel like that contains multitudes. Well, I think it's interesting because you think back to Steel Mountain and you think back to the first season of the show. Mr. Robot wanted to just like blow up a building of people. Yeah, he wanted to do this just on a smaller scale. And I think that that might be it is like the like there was a time and maybe still even where Mr. Robot views 
some measure of human sacrifice and necessity to his revolution, but the magnitude of what was done, um, you know, with, 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 uh, with stage two, with this like, you know, vast swath of humanity just like removed from the earth in this devastating one fell swoop attack. Like that's too much for him to stomach. I think it's kind of interesting and shows, I don't want to say like a maturity to Mr. Robot because like even one building is unacceptable, but I think it, it shows some measure of, um, you know, almost a, a revulsion with his with with his own revolution. You know, like I think that there is something there that I find fascinating. Um, but I don't know. I'm 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 always going to be mistrustful of Mr. Robot to at least a degree until this show ends and tells me otherwise. If that's the way that it goes, I think it's it's really hard to buy this guy at face value. But I think the way that Christian Slater is is playing this moment. It's very sincere. It reads that way to me. I do think that he would have tried to, or at least I think, I think what it is is like, I would have found another way. I think it's one of those things where like, you don't know how you actually would have acted in the moment. Um, but now that the thing has happened and you weren't a part of it and you have the luxury of being able to say what you would or wouldn't have done, like, I feel like it's, it's kind of like that where he's like, I could, I couldn't, I would never have been able to do that. And maybe the hesitation is like part of him being like, I might have been able to do that. Right, right. Yeah. Like, I, I, I want to say that I would have found right, another way, right. but I'm not sure I would have. So, it's interesting. I think it's great. I love the relationship between Ellie and Robot in this episode. It's just all spectacular. Yeah, but. and I think this was... A, I mean, I know it was a little easy, like you said, but I think this was a good culmination to where they've been at all season. I Look, like the is, it, is it ridiculous that, like, Darlene is potentially in imminent, instant danger, and Elliot decides to put himself on a freaking Ferris wheel where you can't get off of this thing for maybe a half hour? Hour? Yeah. Sure. If that's how you choose to evaluate the story, that's ridiculous. I choose not to. I choose I like, to. Uh, anytime we get anytime we get a Ferris wheel conversation about the value of human life, I think of the third man, and so it's welcome for me. Let's get yeah. on the Ferris wheel every episode. You know, I think just like as long as it's you know as long as it's doing great thematic work, and as long as it makes you feel feelings that you're excited about and that you are enjoying those feelings, uh, I think it's you know it's yeah. He didn't get cotton candy, Josh. Know, like you know, know, he wasn't he wasn't wasn't eating a Nathan's hot dog. Like he wasn't like, you know, just pounding pizza. Like it was, this was a, an important trip on the Ferris wheel. He wasn't enjoying the sights. Yes, 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 yes. Okay. Uh, well, here's another ride, a joy ride that's going on or a lack of joy ride is Dom <laughs> with Darlene in the back of the car with Santiago driving them towards uh, what they both probably feel is their death at this point. And how satisfying is it to just like have like Dom articulating all of these things uh, that she is like finally connecting everything, everything like if she should have been listening to post show recaps and she would have been spoiled on this uh, several episodes ago. Uh, the attack in China, you you were hiding in your room knowing the rest of us were getting blown to pieces. You helped them get to Cisco. Uh, you, the Terrell cover up, you helped frame Trenton and Mobley. This whole time we've been punching ourselves in the face because of you. Uh, and she's just like ripping him to shreds. And he's just being a little shit in the front of the car, being like, it's easy to be the hero in the back seat, but your whole world is the back seat. I'm driving. Uh, <laughs> you know, and he's, this is where he says, like, the only reason Darlene's alive is I didn't reveal her. I'm not a bad guy. You don't know what they've put me through and what they hold over me, but you will soon oh, enough. Boy, uh, what uh, foreshadowing from Santiago there. Indeed. And I think that, look, I do think that there's something to this. This is another thing that came up in my conversation with Omar is like Santiago probably was like certainly uh, more breakable than Dom in the first place. Just like somebody who's probably less principled by nature uh, and, you know, less like invested in like the black and 
white justice of the job than DDP is. But do you think that he's like a bad guy before he gets recruited to the Dark Army? Or is some show of force implemented that puts him in the the position that we see DDP in by the end of this episode? I think is probably likelier. Uh, Like, he's definitely a bad guy after the fact, given the things that he's involved in and the things that he's looked away from and the people that he's thrown under the bus, uh, to put it gently. Uh, But I think in terms of who he was before all of this, Santiago was just a dude who went to medieval times and rooted for the blue night with his family oh man poor guy yeah that was great uh he the, he was a little i mean is he a dink like who is this guy this is uh you're right I, I think that was a great conversation you had with omar about that particular uh about that particular element of this which is we see the parallels as we talked about between omar with between santiago and ddp and we see her now as the new ddp or as a new santiago in many ways so what was it like before santiago ended up there how did he get there and what was his life and i like that he said that Omar said this was maybe the last happy day of his life like that this is maybe the last day that he had this they go to his place and we see that picture Elliot and Robot are looking for any more information that might help them figure out where they are now Uh, and unfortunately they find something very different they find Irving complaining about Gore Vidal yeah and it's not great it's not, not great. great. Yeah, it's not great. And Irving says, uh, like, listen, uh, ultimately, I think it's very meta. Did you? I mean, it's very meta when he's talking about how uh, beginnings and middles and endings and the endings have to be good. Did you read this at any point? Like, were you and, and this statement made me think of it to an extent. Did you read this at any point? And this is a separate conversation uh, that, that maybe this was this was doubling as a series finale, potentially, since we didn't get the renewal news until really the day that it aired. Uh, is there the possibility that this was partially conceived at least as a series finale in a way that it would be somewhat satisfying? No, I don't think so. I think, uh, I mean, I, I think that there, there are degrees to which this could have been the final episode of Mr. Robot and I would have been very <laughs> bummed about that, but there would be some emotional closure for some of the characters that I could live with, at least in terms of like, oh man, like I'll always wonder like what what the hell was White Rose planning and like how is White Rose going to get hers because you got to imagine she will eventually uh how will price get you know so i i think that you know is it constructed as though it could be a finale i didn't ask esmail that question but my guess is that his answer would be no and even with with viewership declining i, I do think that there's confidence in the show on usa's part especially knowing that it's not a forever show and it's going to end soon and this show really put USA on the map in a very different way. It got them out of the characters welcome era, right? Like it got them, it got them into, it got them out of like the, the suits and, and white collar stuff. No, yeah. You know, no shade to those shows that have their fans for sure. And I haven't really given a fair shake or anything like that, but this is, you know, Mr. Robot is a show of the caliber of your breaking bads and, you know, your, your, your true like golden age of television types of shows. Like this is their, this is their version of that. Yeah. And, and I mean, they, they had subsequent shows. They had yeah. the center that got a lot of Golden Globe nominations this year with Jessica Biel. They've had subsequent shows that followed in this line. So you're right. Uh, I don't think viewership numbers really matter the way that they used to either. I know that that's a metric that is used and that's part of it. But this is a show that has a lot of cross-platform uh, work that they're doing integration with Amazon and merchandise and promotion. And I got to imagine it does pretty well on streaming. Like There are a lot of other factors that go into making a show like this. And as you're pointing out, 
have the notoriety it brings the network. I'm less focused on the numbers. I just it's interesting that they didn't that the renewal notice wasn't necessarily in place until the finale aired. Uh, the reason I ask that is when Irving says, you know, the lack of a wow ending middle, you know, that is a, a line that is is him talking about the book that he was listening to on tape earlier in the season when he was with Tyrell, uh, when Tyrell was calling Elliot and we saw Irving listening to it and Tyrell's blowing up and Irving takes his headphones off like, what's going on? But it, it, it could also double as, a, as, like I said, meta commentary about the season because we have a pretty wow ending in terms of this episode. But I was wondering if it could also double for meta commentary about the series. Uh, and if so, like, what is the wow ending that we might see coming for the series? Is it going to be something involving White Rose? Is it going to involve her project? Those are the questions I'm asking myself if this is to be taken as a meta statement, not just about this particular episode and this particular season, but also maybe the series as a whole. If, if this statement was maybe looking at the series as a whole and not just one episode or one season. So I thought yeah. that, that was interesting, at least. Uh, and Irving doesn't want any schemes, so we got to be careful with that. Got to be careful. No schemes. No, a story can have a mediocre beginning or a middle, but you got to have a wow ending. Otherwise, what's the point? Like, that's a very, very dangerous posi- position to take with stories uh, in terms of consuming stories. Having having learned firsthand from my favorite show of all time, like, you know, putting so much on the line for how is this thing going to stick the landing? And if it doesn't, quote unquote, stick the landing the way that you wanted it to, walking away from that feeling not great, you know, feeling feeling messy. And yeah, five, six of a thing is fantastic, right? You know, right. one, six of it isn't right. Right. So it's like, I, I think that it's a, a little bit of a commentary on that of like, listen, and I, I think that there's an inevitability to the way that stories end that at least, you know, a sizable vocal minority is not going to like the way your thing has wrapped. Uh, you'll be lucky if that's the case. Uh, there's also often the case of like a vocal majority does not like the way that you ended your beloved show. Um, so I think like it's a little bit of a commentary on like almost a cautionary of like, who knows? Like, you know, we're, we've got our ideas and we're driving towards our ideas and our points. Maybe you'll like them. Maybe you won't. Um, but I don't think that it's necessarily a line of like, we've got this. Trust us. Trust us. Like, you know, we definitely have a wow ending coming your way. Maybe um, Irving's not that great of a writer is all I'm saying. <laughs> it's possible. <laughs> I, I can't wait to read the book. You know, he's going down to Barbados to finish it up. So I can't, I cannot wait. All right. Um, all right so Irving's going to scoop up Elliot and Robot, who are now fully in cahoots with each other. Meanwhile, Angela is at uh, Chateau de Price. Uh, apparently, uh, pancakes are on the menu. That sounds delightful. Well, pancakes are always delicious. This is this is Chateau de Price. So let's let's settle something that I've I've seen discussed on Reddit and on the internet in general. You're reading this as Chateau de Price, not some sort of institution or convalescent home where Price has stashed Angela away. Um, I guess I hadn't really thought about it. This guy's the house manager. So that could be, I mean, he reminded me of like Martin Landau and North by Northwest, this like yeah. weird, creepy, like perma, perma weird look butler that just shows up and wants to talk about the, the way the sky looks and isn't it a beautiful day? But he's, he's handling her with kid gloves. He's standing by the door. He never comes really into the room and he's a weird looking dude. So I know that part of that is what before you know that we're at that Chateau de Price. 
you're reading this is like, is this one of these weird white rose agents? Uh, why? What's up with this? Like, he looks like he stepped out of the Book of Mormon show. Like, uh, is that is that what this is about? But I, this is a weird dude. And the house manager, I don't know. I just I think it's possible that Angela may be somewhere that isn't just Price's house. That said, it's a gorgeous house, so it's probably Price's house. Yeah. Well, I, does Philip Price strike you as the like the kind of guy that like I don't know like he has his own rehab? I would bet you know yeah, like he's got right. he's got his own mental health facility uh, right. like where she maybe that's exactly what this is but she's like the only patient type of deal or it's like very 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 prestigious clientele but he doesn't strike me as the kind of guy that like throws her into into a mental health facility and just like walks away i think and and i think honestly frankly um even though the show cuts back and forth between everything that's happening in the barn with everything that's happening with angela and price it might be easier for us to just start talking about angela and price right now if you're cool with that yeah i'm definitely cool with all right so let's let's get into it because you know i think the, for me at least the moment that angela is revealed to be at philip at philip price's place whether it's you know his house a facility one of his houses whatever he you know she's there under philip price's orders at this moment i'm like okay so they're going to go there they're going to reveal that philip price is angela's father and there's no moment in time for me at least uh where i feel like it's going any other way like this actually you know pretty much played out just about exactly as i expected it to was there any surprise element to this the revelation that he had had some kind of relationship with angela's mother uh that she didn't want her daughter to be raised by a monster uh, was there anything about the, the story that he told and the revelation that took you off guard i would imagine not because we've been talking about this possibility for weeks now Right. No, nothing really for me. I was, I was a little taken aback by the fact that he was wearing a suit. Like, does this guy never dress down? But, uh, but yeah, other than that. But he was kind of wearing like a, like a, like a laid back suit, right? Like, yeah, I don't well, think he didn't he, have a tie he, on. He right? was yeah. in a tie. Yeah. So yeah. I think, like, you know, he just dresses nice. Like, what was he going to wear? Like, uh, I don't that's know. That's what I, that's why I want to know. Like, I want that blank <laughs> to be filled in for me. Like, what is he wearing? Yeah. What is he wearing? A tuxedo t shirt. <laughs> what does he wear in his downtime? Tuxedo t shirt is good. Like, Madras. Like, what's he wearing? So, chinos. I don't know. But, uh, uh, but yeah, I, I nothing really surprised me. Uh, it surprised me a little bit the the level of emotion that we saw from Philip Price. I think uh, not necessarily that he's breaking down, but that he's showing a lot of vulnerability to Angela about how he loved her mom. He never told her. He liked feeling strong by keeping that from her. I think that's a level of uh, personal. Uh, I don't know what the word I'm looking for is, but it's just a self-realization that I think when you think about the 1% of the 1%, you wonder how they sleep at night. I don't think you think about them thinking these kind of thoughts, that they have these realizations that they willfully did this sort of thing to make themselves feel good. This feels like a big character moment for Philip Price as much as it's a character moment for Angela. And I think that vulnerability he showed did surprise me a little bit. He's always let his guard down a little bit with her. He told her when it was his birthday that nobody really knew. The one that's on the internet is not the right one. She's really one of the only people that he told. So there have been these moments where he seemed a little more vulnerable to her. But I thought this was a, a pretty stunning uh, moment of vulnerability that he showed here. Uh, other than that, I didn't really, I really wasn't taken aback by any of it. Were you? No, I, I just loved the scene so much. You know, it's, um, this is the kind of thing where like there's, there's like the, the line of thinking about a story uh, and about like a show or a film or a book or any piece of entertainment where like anything that can be spoiled is probably not like anything that can be ruined by being spoiled is probably something that's not that great. And I don't know that I subscribe to that. I, you know, for instance, I like protected myself as much as humanly possible and instantly 
isolated the shit out of myself when it came to Star Wars The Last Jedi, and I'm so glad that I read nothing about any sort of reactions or anything going into it so that I could just have my raw feelings about that. Uh, more on that matter coming shortly to post-show recaps. No spoilers here. Uh, tease. But I, but I do feel like in, in that same regard, like you and I had been talking about this as, uh, as a possibility for a while now. And j- even though we, we had called the shot and even though uh, many people had called this shot, even though we knew that there was a strong likelihood uh, a, a real probability that Price was going to be revealed as Angela's father, the way that it was revealed was so delicious. It was just so wonderful to behold the whole story, the, the articulation of the story, Angela's, uh, you know, breakdown of like, what is this? I don't believe you. You're lying. Still like a little bit on edge, still a little bit uneven. The, uh, the Darth Vader-ish quality to it, to bring it back to Star Wars of, I am your father. Biologically speaking, anyway, like, you know, this was, was really, really nice. Yeah, what if Vader had said that? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> biologically, Luke, I am your father. Uh, you know, I thought that that was great. Speaking. And then I just loved Angela wrestling with like there had to be a reason I was used. Uh, you know, yeah, that ha- was great. There had I have to believe there was a purpose to all of this, and just like the heartbreaking uh, answer to that from Price, which is the truth. You know, whether or not you believe that White Rose's project is possible white rose's level of interest in angela and using angela really is what price says uh it was pettiness it was a dig at me it's that small unfortunately it's just so beautiful uh is is really really great um and i i don't know i i don't know where i stand with angela after all of this uh where she's at where her head is at uh she seems clearer she seems more lucid than she was it seems like she accepts this to some degree she wants retribution now uh she's constantly switching allegiances it's very hard to to keep track of where angela moss is at any given time price is telling her you need to find a way to live with what you did uh you know your only move here is to accept that you've been conned and find a way to live with what you did uh what is angela's next move what is her mental state coming out of this i really i don't have a clear answer myself i'm curious about what your take is on all of that well i mean you have to i don't think you can talk about angela in this in this moment uh, i mean and I, I don't mean to discount what angela is doing but i think a fundamental part of the story conversation is also contrasting where she's at to the other main victim that we know of what happened with the leak and everything that was lost and everything that happened with the the cyber attacks the person who was meant to, I think, take the blame. And that's Elliot. And except you've been conned, uh, there had to be a greater purpose behind what was happening. Those are the same sorts of things that Elliot's been dealing with this season, that Elliot's realizations that are occurring over the course of this season. So I think it's interesting to talk about those two characters in the same breath, because I think by the end of this season, Elliot is like, you know what? I was conned. Like, I was told that this revolution would happen or that I would be part of this thing. I wasn't part of it. It didn't work out the way that I was. I see now that I was just used and that I was a tool and I know I'm smarter than that and I know I'm worth more than that and I know that that's not really uh, something that honors who I am and what I can contribute. So I'm going to go after the 1% of the 1%. I have a renewed focus. I have clarity of purpose and, and, and everything that I need to do and it's fascinating to think about that puts him in direct 
uh, direct, basically, contrast to the person who is telling Angela to accept all these things. Philip Price has got to be on Elliot's hit list, and Philip Price is, is helping Angela and now is more a key component of her life. So even though the two characters are very similar, they're oppositional in some ways, at least right now. And I think that that's fascinating to think about when we think about what this might ha- what might happen in a season four, is that Elliot has suffered through a lot of the same things that Angela has. Elliot has a lot of the same desires. Elliot even manifests his own father into his life, uh, in part, for, for, for various reasons. And so uh, Elliot has always wanted a lot of the same things as Angela. They've been at odds throughout this season, and yet they've also been on the same page. They've worked against each other, and yet when Angela's at her lowest ebb, it's Elliot that shows up at her door and talks about how everything's going to be all right. And so I think it's fascinating to think about how those two characters could be similar and how they could be divergent in a fourth season of Mr. Robot. I can't wait to see how that plays out because I don't know where Angela goes from here. She basically seems to be saying like, hey, I want retribution against White Rose. That's what she tells Price. And I think she's telling Price in part because Price is like, what do you want me to do about it? Uh, and Angela's saying, I want you to win. I want you to take down White Rose. And I think Elliot would be on board with that part of Angela's agenda. But the part of Angela Elliot's agenda that Angela might not be on board with is the one that involves Price because now they have this connection. Angela wanted to bring her mom back. She says, you can't be over. She was going to bring my mom back. We were going to be reunited. And no, this doesn't bring Angela's mom back. But as we talk about on this podcast, this is a way of bringing a parent back into Angela's life that she never knew that she had. This is a connection to her mother. This is this is half of that equation that she didn't realize was this half. Like this is a person who an affair decor produced Angela between this person and her mother. So she has a new presence in her life that in a different way, whether that was the intention or not. And we talked about how that's sort of always been the the motif in this show uh, throughout the course of season two and three. Three, especially in season three, that White Rose wants to to use science or to what Price ultimately calls uh, it is a ridiculous fantasy to undo reality, to to undo everything that can happen. And Price says there's no way it can happen. What's happening though is Elliot is is restoring Five Nine. Uh, Elliot is doing all these things. Angela is getting a parent back, not in the way she intended. We're seeing ultimately a lot of these things happen. That we're not pressing the reset button in a way that we're, we pressed it before because we can't do that. But we're pressing a reset button. In moving on with the knowledge that we have. So I think that that's fascinating. I also thought it was interesting that Price mentioned, and we had people tweeting this. I know we've been confused about this maybe throughout the context of the season, but I think this is full confirmation that Price knows that Minister Zhang and White Rose are the same person. We've never seen Price talk to White Rose. We've seen uh, at least not, except for over the phone. We've never seen Price talk to White Rose in person, uh, but now this is him saying like her, White Rose, he knows that Minister Zhang and White Rose are the same person, and I think that's an interesting confirmation because how many other people on the show know that? Yeah, no, it's a really good point. I don't know that anyone does. Like, yeah. I really don't know that anyone does other than other than Price. I think DDP can put it together. Uh, and I think maybe she can start to to maybe she she knows that Zhang didn't have a sister and yet he showed her all these women's outfits. She knows that Zhang is maybe loosely connected to the Dark Army. She has those concerns. So she may be able to put it together, especially now that she's Dark Army. Like, she may be able to draw some conclusions here. But Price definitely knows it. And 
I think that's that's very interesting because uh, he, you know, maybe he can be an ally. We've talked about the Avengers. We've talked about Elliot needing to put aside bad blood with certain people like Fernando Vera, maybe to work with them. Uh, certainly the fact that Mr. Robot doesn't talk to Elliot about the fact that Mr. Robot got the Santiago information from Tyrell directly. Uh, that's something that maybe Elliot wouldn't be comfortable with, that Mr. Robot was working with Tyrell. He knows that he was, but they don't have that full conversation. So Elliot might have to put aside some of this, some of these beefs, some of the maybe more immature things and work on an adult level. And maybe Philip Price is one of those people we'll have to work with to help ultimately take down the Dark Army. Maybe Elliot can't take down all of the 1% of the 1%, but he can take down the Dark Army. All right. Well, let's get back to uh, to the to the other side of the action here. Unless you've got anything more on the Price and Angela stuff. No, that's good for now. Yeah, I'm excited to see where they go with that. Uh, it's, it's just nice to have that out on the show. Uh, if there's a lot of you know next season that is like Angela just like kicking around at her new dad's awesome house. Uh, well, hopefully not a lot, but like if there's like a little bit of like a Richie Rich subplot, like I'm okay with it. Uh, <laughs> a loca- Richie Rich subplot. Locating dad now. Dad not found. Yeah, All she's right. like, you're one of the richest people in the world, uh, and I have student loan debt. What the fuck, dad? <laughs> yeah, help me out with that, please. Yeah, where were you? I mean, I understand you don't want to show me, but you could have benefacted me, bro. Yeah, for sure. For sure, bro. Oh, my God. Already getting your Vera-isms into the mix here. Uh, all right. So let's let's go with... With Elliot and uh, Irving is driving Elliot to the to the same place where Santiago has taken Dom and Darlene and the Dark Army agents are there and Leon is here. Yeah, and like you just don't know how this is going to play out, but you know it's not going to be great for anyone. <laughs> yeah, know- I love Mister Robot calls it some hillbilly shit. Like it's great. Yeah, he's like ah, oh, this is not great. Uh, so it takes a really not great turn. Uh, when Irving has shown up and Santiago is here and Santiago is like, uh, I need help. I need some, I need some help cleaning this up. It's, you know, I've been cleaning your messes up left and right. It's time you clean up one of mine for a change. And Irving gives a great, uh, huh? Uh, yeah, I'm gonna clean up the mess. All yeah, right, I'm gonna make one first. Though. Yeah, first, I don't think he's doing much of the cleaning. You know, in terms of like the physical. Point. In terms yeah, of the he physical kind of labor. walks away and says, "You handle this." Yeah, yeah. So he's gonna take Irving. Uh, Irving is gonna take Santiago and DDP to uh, to the pile of wood that needs chopping from earlier in the season. And there's a couple of deaths in this finale where uh, I feel like, for future reference, we need to start being a little cleverer about. This. This, or at least a little more observant. Uh, how we never connected that like someone was going to get axed to death. Like that's a mistake on our part. We should have been able to call that shot. Yeah, I didn't know that we would end up back at the uh, at the at the upstate barn. But Josh, we should have known about upstate New York. We should have yeah, known what happens always. when you go to upstate New York. <laughs> this is exactly what happens when you go to upstate New York. Yep. Uh, and the whole scene is just constructed spectacularly because you really do think that, oh my god, this is it. This is it for Dom DiPiero. and instead, this is it for uh, Santiago. Uh, and I mean, this is it for DDP in a sense where she's going to be made an offer she can't refuse by 
way of this bloody execution of Santiago and the listing off of her relatives. And it's going to be a massive turning point for her. But you do, you do think at a, you know, I, I don't know when it is for you that you make the turn that Irving is going to be, uh, taking that axe to Santiago fairly quickly, or did it take you a minute to realize what was going to happen? It was fairly quickly just because I, Santiago didn't even need to be there. <laughs> I don't know why he, what he walks out. I, when I rewatched it, Irving never says like, you come with me, Santiago. Santiago's just trailing behind. And that's what got me to thinking like part of what made you die is your humanity in a way. Like the fact that you went out there, you didn't need to go out there. And if you, if he had like tried to stay in the barn, uh, Irving probably would have said, come with me too. You too. Like, and that, at that point, I think we would have been like, okay, something's up. But I think that the fact that Santiago went on his own and was trying to plead for DDP's life, it's a good character note for him. But as I said, I think his death certificate was signed long before this scene ever happened. Irving shows up with the names written on his hand as he's been doing all season. We see him write Angela Moss. We see him write license plate numbers. Like we've seen him do this throughout the course of the season. We've seen him write on his hand. He was ready for this to happen. And this was his plan all along. He's sick of Santiago. He calls him later kind of a dick. Um, That was the real takeaway for me. There was something else interesting that happened when they were walking into the barn. Uh, and I, I apologize. I don't have the username or if multiple people have noticed it. But someone on Reddit pointed out that this looks a little bit like the painting that Elliot is looking at in Krista's office later in season one. And there's a painting in Krista's office of people walking up to a barn in that particular picture. The, the door is open. The door is not open on this barn. Uh, there are three people in each picture. So it's probably more of a coincidence. I think that if the show wanted to, they could have opened the door on the barn uh, and made it look exactly the same. But it does make you wonder, like, now you go back and look at that scene. Is Elliot looking at that picture thinking, I remember this. I live this in a different dimension. So for those people that are subscribing to that theory, it's a fun little Easter egg. Uh, but other than that, I that we, got, we just have to talk about forgetting when we might have learned how great was our boy Bobby Cannavale in this scene, Josh. Will! Oh, fortune! Yes. Oh, my gosh. Oh, it's great. And like, I'm going to need... I'm going to need verbal confirmation. <laughs> yeah, that was great. And I need to give me a minute while I center myself. Oh, my God. Yeah. Give me a minute while I center myself and then continue hacking a corpse to death after it is long dead. Well, like, I, I think that this episode was like, certainly to me, surprisingly so, surprisingly revealing of Irving. Uh, yeah. I feel like we learned a decent amount about who this guy is, if not the particulars, then a little bit of his circumstances, at least. He's going to say to Grant uh, in just a couple of minutes that I used to be you, uh, implying that Irving was like White Rose's either lover or at lover. least right-hand person, right? Yeah, lover. Lover. Does she still make spontaneous overtures? Does she make you taste like that's lover stuff? Yeah, so it certainly seems that way. Uh, it would certainly, it certainly reads that way for sure. Uh, and the way that Irving is talking to Dom here about in time, this will get easy to live with, I promise. And like the, the aggression that he is taking out on, uh, on Santiago's corpse, like, is what happened to Santiago and what's happening to Dom, has that happened to Irving? It's a good question, right? Is because he's saying it'll get easier to live with. And we don't think, I don't sense that that's the case with Santiago. I don't think it's ever really gotten easier to live with for Santiago. So if Irving's saying that, like, yeah, something happened to Irving at some point. Uh, I don't know 
what the story is there. I love that he walks away alive because to the extent that the, the show can ever tell more of an Irving story, I think that that would be certainly welcomed. Uh, Jay Wilpon had, had texted me actually and said, uh, I'd love to see a throwback scene when Irving was White Rose's assistant and how that relationship evolved. We know this show does circular storytelling. I would love to see that, Josh. I'd love to see more of Irving and a young, a younger Irving, how that evolved because you're right. There's, there's definitely more here for sure. I think it's fascinating. I, I really, I'm a, I'm a fan. I'm a, I'm a fan of the idea that a, that Irving, that I'm wrong, and that Irving managed to to walk out of this season alive. I don't know when or if even we would see any more of this character. I think that trip to Barbados is a really convenient way to write him out of the story, and I don't know that we ever need to see him in the show again. Bobby Cannavale is going to be working on a different Sam Esmail project. He's going to be one of the stars of Homecoming, the Amazon show that Esmail is working on. So clearly those two guys still have a, a strong working relationship. Uh, and this character was just so spectacular that you got to imagine that that Bobby Cannavale would be excited to play him again. Um, so I think we'll probably see him again. But if we don't, and if these are the final character notes on Irving, I'm, I'm thrilled with them. I think it's a, it's a really, really fun departure for this character at the end of the season. Yeah, and I really like that Homecoming podcast that that show is going to be based on. And there's a really juicy role in there. Uh, it could be if, if that's the role that they're, they're, uh, they've got Bobby Cannavale for. Look, any role other than maybe Ant-Man that Bobby Cannavale plays uh, is a juicy role. So it was great. I think when you put Bobby on your show, this is what you want to see out of him because he has this in his locker. He has this absolute utter madman in his locker, but he's also able to to portray a lot of other elements of Irving. And I think this was smoldering under the surface from Irving all season. And I think the idea that that he's got a lot going on inside him and that he's got this backstory is something not only that's present in the subtext of the show, but certainly in the performance. And so it was great to see how that all played out. Um, him centering himself, Josh, really insane. That's <laughs> really, really. Great. Really, really insane. And I love what you had to say with uh, with Omar Medwali about this. And I would encourage everybody to listen to that podcast because the, the fact is it took something this violent to really shake up DDP. Uh, and maybe maybe Irving or maybe Santiago had seen something like this. Maybe he hadn't. But th it had to be this. It had to be this brutal. It ultimately had because DDP is such a moralist at her core. She's saying even as it's happening, she's saying, like, I'm not going to flip. You may as well just kill me. And it isn't until we really see the repeated strikes with the axe and we see how crazy this guy Irving really is. Well, yeah, and, and he's evoking yeah, four-year-old right. Jamie DiPiero of Morrisville, New Jersey. And right. now imagine it's your mom, Trudy, or Uncle Chris as he's Dallas going to Morning Star, yeah, pick up right, a, co yeah. a copy of the paper. Yeah, so like once he's once he's bringing them into the mix, I think that, that that's a frightening prospect for DDP. Um it is such an about face for the character that I think if it weren't for the, the dressing down that she gives to Darlene later on in the episode, and I know that we got some, some feedback about that as well, just in terms of like how, you know, like why is she blaming Darlene? Like, is it fair? This was from Bobby from Jersey. Uh, when Dom tells Darlene that she ruined her life, what do you think she means exactly from where I'm standing? There are other people that deserve much more blame, like Santiago and White Rose, just to name a few. Do you see Dom being able to forgive Darlene at some point down the line. Um, my response to that would be, A, I think Darlene's like, 
like waffling back and forth was not helpful for for Dom. I think her reinserting herself into Dom's life directly uh, was what brought them to this specific moment. Um, right. Is is one thing. Also, the fact that she had violated her trust when we know that DDP is somebody who does not give away her vulnerabilities easily. I think that she's very upset about that. But I think more than anything, to me. I think that she's definitely authentically pissed off at Darlene, but I think that that dressing down that she gives to Darlene is more about, uh, that's like her version of quote unquote centering herself. Like that's her taking the axe to, to a body. That's her like letting out so much pain and howling about this. I think if it hadn't been for that and like showing us just like how destroyed she is utterly by what has happened here. I don't know that I buy the idea that Dom is going to be able to turn and work with the Dark Army. I think I'm, 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 it's still a little bit hard to get my head around this turn for the character. It's not what I would have expected. Um, but I think that the circumstances help to, to show the way towards that a little yeah, bit. Yeah. Well, it doesn't have to work either, by the way. Like this could be a mistake on Irving's part for sure. Uh, and this could be Irving not really wanting to deal with it. I mean, he's literally there for however long he is and he does some dirty work, but he doesn't stick around. Like he, he, he just seems to think this is going to work out. She's a better version. She's got upside uh, on and on and on. Um, mistakes can happen and the dark army is certainly capable of making them. And I think putting DDP in this position is a huge risk. And just because she saw Santiago get hacked to death doesn't mean that she's not going to try to orchestrate some grand plan where she protects everybody that's close to her and then flips. Like there is always the possibility that DDP is going to sell this out and then it won't work. I think for the short term, you understand why in the immediate aftermath, she's in shock and she would do what she's going to do and say what she needs to say in order to move the ball down the field. But that doesn't mean it's going to work long term. I think that's still on the table for sure yeah no i think uh the idea that this will backfire in some way feels certain right like yeah. I, I think that feels like a like a guarantee we know ddp well enough at this point that eventually there will come a breaking point uh or there will come there will come some sort of loophole and the the rest of bobby's question was uh i would love to see dom darlene and elliot working together at some point and i still believe in that you know i still I believe do too. i still I very too. much believe in that possibility leaving this episode yeah, so I do too. uh so uh she comes back to the barn covered in blood. Leon has uh, a great moment with her where she's like, do you want some of this catnip? Like, do you want to like, you know, like come down from your initiation? And she's not having that. Just classic Leon. Um, and in comes Grant. Uh, Grant about to walk into the last room he's ever going to walk into, at least in this lifetime. And on his way, he's going to have that aforementioned conversation with Irving, where Irving's going to say, I'm taking a sabbatical. It's long overdue. I'm going to finish finish my book uh you don't get to tell me what i what i do you know um you know i took i i played my part i was you years ago i've done my time she's gonna be good with me glad we did this and then he he leaves he escapes uh and this is where we start getting into everything that happens in the barn that's uh the the episode is is oscillating between what's going on with the philip price and angela reveal and what's happening in the barn to really ratchet up the tension which i think is super effective just in the construction of the episode um but in terms of the actual events of what happens here it obviously it all builds to elliot making this grand plea of i can you know i can move your project I, he's like you know revealing all of the stuff that he knows about the dark army from having owned 
their system. Uh, Grant does not seem to care. Grant is very determined to kill this man. Elliot is saying, I can, you know, I can help. I can, I can be useful. Grant doesn't seem to care. But White Rose from a bathtub, you know, who knows where, she seems to care. She seems to, to be interested in the Elliot Alderson vision once again. Yeah, and as we said earlier, I think this is, again, right before Grant comes in, Elliot says, like, we're, look, they've been instructed to wait, not act. They're preparing for someone important to come. I think that this was always White Rose's plan, is to let Grant really talk to Elliot. And I think maybe if we go back and look at the course of season three, White Rose put Grant in a position where Grant was hoist by his own petard in many respects. Like, Grant is the one responsible for Grant's death. Grant was jealous of Elliot. Grant stuck his neck out. Grant wanted to get involved in stage two. Grant wanted to speed these things along. Grant was impatient. Grant was a liability in many respects. And I think that White Rose recognizes that maybe even at the beginning of this season, in that scene at the Collider, where White Rose, is, as Minister Zhang, is saying, like, you're, you're not recognizing Mr. Alderson's value. Like, this is a thing. You need to learn English. Like, putting Grant in a position where Grant could have succeeded and Grant ultimately failed has been a story of this season. And Elliot happens to press the right buttons in this big confrontation. Elliot is saying, like, I own the Dark Army. That's not a really big button. That is a button, though, uh, but it isn't the big, a big button. Grant is saying, like, we can survive a leak. Uh, he's probably right about that. Um, that is not when ultimately what happens in this scene is that throughout Elliot's plea, we see the camera. We see the camera. That's a, a, a player in the scene. Even though we don't see White Rose until it really gets to the climax, we see shots of the camera watching throughout. So we know White Rose is part of it. And Elliot is saying, like, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do the leak. And Elliot, I think this is a very interesting thing, says a week ago, you used you hired the Russians to uh, the Russians hired you to hack the DNC. That's a real thing. We know about that. They're bringing the dark army again into our real world story in our real world politics. Elliot talks about how they used Philip Price to annex the Congo. That's a real thing in the course of our story. That's something we know that happened in the show. The other thing that Elliot says, Josh, I'm a little concerned about for season four and five. He says they bribe South Korea for backdoor military access. So what we know is that the Dark Army essentially has an army. They have an actual physical military that they have access to if they ever need to take action. And I have great concern about this because as we see about Mr. Robot tying the story of the show into potential real world events or actual real world events, giving the Dark Army access to the South Korean military, which is certainly a hot button issue in our world, uh, makes me greatly concerned that that's something that could come into the show, considering the other two things that Elliot mentions are the DNC hack, which we know is a real thing, and Price annexing the Congo, which is a real thing in the context of our story. So I'm definitely concerned about that. But even those buttons don't move the needle for the eye in the sky. They don't move the needle for the camera. It isn't until Elliot ultimately says, like, hey, I can move the pro your project to the Congo. I know you've struggled with that. Remember, he's seen inside the Dark Army. So he's probably seen contacts, chats, things that he knows. This has been something that White Rose threw a tantrum over last episode. And Grant was like, well, I'll ask our allies to really uh, step it up. But White Grant has not been able to effectuate Elliot saying that is what moves the needle. Leon immediately gets a text message. And that's when Leon springs off of his feet and into action, gets his gun out and up and ready. And it is ultimately then Leon that shoots everybody down. It is Elliot's promise then 
involving White Rose's project. The fact that no one's been able to do this. And Elliot says, I did in one night what you've been trying to pull off for months, and that's the Congo project. That's why White Rose is ultimately like, Grant, you just haven't seen Mr. Alderson's value. This is why he's important. The things like this that he can do for us that nobody else is able to do, including you, are why you need to go and why he can't. And that's ultimately what moves the needle in this scene. And I thought the Congo thing, Josh, do you think that this is set in stone? I mean, this is a, it, we had a question from this with, from Andrew. Andrew said the solution to getting stuff to the Congo, Andrew says, was kind of a letdown. Oh, we can just put it on an Iranian ship. Seems like the Dark Army should have easily thought of that. Um, I mean, that's probably why Grant died, because they didn't think of it. But I'm wondering, Josh, Leon says, like, I hope you I hope you're this is going to work out for you, cuz, because you know what will happen if it doesn't. Do you think that this is cut and dry, that this is just going to work out? Yeah, I think probably no. You know, I, I, mean, I, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I don't I, know. I would guess so. I don't know what could be done now to to undo that because in order to walk away, he, he executes on the idea, right? Like he executes on he the plan. He gives him a file. He gives him a file. Yeah. So I'm not sure. Like my, I mean, my, my thinking, part of me wonders like how much time is going to pass between seasons three and four. Uh, like on one level with Vera being right at Elliot's doorstep, you would think not much time at all, potentially right. no time at all um but i think the time jump is due right yeah i think that you can imagine it you could certainly imagine it um you know where where the five nine hack is reversed and we see how society is improving right right so i think i think that there's you know at least going to be a a leap in time during season four uh similar to how there was here in season three but who the hell knows pure speculation at this point um i feel like you know look some sort of international quality to to the final stretch of Mr. Robot would be pretty sweet. If we could go to the Congo, that seems fun. I'd like to do that. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Uh, Reddit users were already pricing out flights to the Congo because there are coordinates hidden inside some of these uh, file names and links. And so people are, are speculating they can go to an exact location in the Congo and there might be something there related to the show. Good Lord. This is something that ends up in the news. This ends up in the news for a different reason, I think, if people start doing this. Oh, Not a great idea. yeah. It's a bad call. That's a bad call. Uh, but yeah, so Grant is going to end up... Uh, Grant's going to kill himself. And this was the other one, right? Like this was, we should have seen the axe coming, like Chekhov's axe. We should have uh, seen uh, Chekhov's Grant worshiping suicide as a noble thing. <laughs> you know, what he says to to Mobley and Trenton a few episodes earlier, like there's no, no like greater honor than giving your life to a cause and like giving everything that you are. And so Grant has very little hesitation whatsoever when the time comes, you know, gets off the phone, says something to Elliot that I don't know if there's a translation on uh, online yet. Uh, I haven't seen it. I haven't been seeking it yeah, out. Yeah, I think though. it was something like uh, "look out for her" or look "protect out for her. her." Protect her. Something to that effect. Yeah. yeah, but he's out. That's it. So long. And I think that that's that's another you know that's another great revealing insight into into White Rose's uh, attitude towards towards life and why White Rose is so casual about like then he can die just like his father. Uh, you know, Grant can go even if White Rose is desperately in love with this guy. She'll see him in another life. Uh, well, and that's funny because intercut with that is Philip Price saying that her project is an obsessive psychotic denial of reality. Right. And I don't know if this is a message that she's just giving to him because she wants him to kill himself or if she really believes that, but she is actively saying like, I'll, I'll find you in the next world. Like I'm going to find you. It's going to happen. Yeah. (sighs) 
So this was intense, but Elliot survives and Darlene survives and they are able to, to get themselves out of this situation after Grant kills himself and they are able to, they are able to move the project, at least it seems to the satisfaction of White Rose because they are going to be allowed to leave here. Uh, we get the really angry, uh, Darlene take takedown from from Dom about you're a terrible person. Don't ever convince yourself of anything else. All you deserve for the rest of your life is pure and utter agony. That'll begin to scratch the surface of how I feel about you. You've taken everything from me. My whole life is ruined because of you. Live with that. Die with that. Mic drop. Yeah, die with that is concerning. And I, I, I really like how this localizes the angst that Darlene has been feeling all season. Uh, she was feeling guilty to complete strangers about how the 5-9 hack had ruined their lives. I mean, she was feeling bad multiple times throughout this season, but now it's localized you know, in an actual person who can say, because of your actions, my life is ruined. And I mean, if we, we saw Darlene feeling the way she felt throughout this season because of what had happened, panic attacks and angst and anxiety and just depression. I don't know what this will mean for Darlene, but I think this speech really stressing down really should be something that impacts this character in season four, considering what we saw from this character in season three. And I think that'll be compounded by the fact that if five, nine is undone and things don't ultimately get that much better for people, uh, then that'll still be hanging over her as well. So I, I think that that's a, uh, this is a, a, a tough scene to watch from that perspective. Uh, but it, it, it really is, it's part of the larger narrative with Darlene uh, that Elliot's trying to undo the five nine hack. Darlene can't undo some of the damage that she's done, and Elliot can't even undo the five nine hack. Josh, not right away, because it wasn't Romero who had uh, outpour- output the the key logs. It wasn't him after all. We already talked about how it was Mister Robot who did it. Elliot cracks Romero's uh, password with uh, some uh, some soul music uh, that that, uh, that Mister that that Elliot knowing Romero might have helped him crack the password. I would think as a hacker, Romero would have a better password, but everybody has their weaknesses, I guess. Uh, and I wonder, I still wonder what Elliot's passwords might be. Uh, but yeah, Romero is hacked by Elliot here. Nothing really comes out of it. Uh, they get to go. They get to go home, and we see him on the subway, and the Kevin McAllister story comes up. Yeah, so this is where we hear uh, you were not pushed out the window. Uh, you know, why did you bring up Kevin McAllister? Well, that was the day Dad pushed me out the window. What do you mean, Dad pushed you out the window? And then, you know, if we had the the bingo card uh, that we should have constructed, we would have checked off another box here uh, where I was there. We were in your room looking for a camera when Dad came home, and for some reason, you freaked out and told me to hide in the closet. Dad came in the room, and all of a sudden, you just snapped and started swinging your baseball bat, hitting everything. Elliot, very, uh, I love the kind of like childlike quality to him where he goes, uh-uh, that's not what happened. Yeah. And uh, he says, trust me, I remember you took your baseball bat and you smashed the window and you kept telling dad you were going to jump. Elliot, you weren't pushed. You jumped. And Elliot says, I don't remember any of that. And then Darlene, who's been, you know, just like kind of like locked in on him the whole time. She says, I'm here to remember for you. And I have in my notes in big capital letters, Wiggler Tears, uh, because I started crying like a baby at that line. I thought yeah, that, that was, was great. I thought that was lovely. 
That was great. And what's cynical about this world that we live in, Josh, is I know that that probably that particular line uh, sent people in a million directions online where they're like, oh, is Darlene working Elliot the whole time? Like, uh, what else does she remember? Why is she programmed to remember for him? Like, what's going on there? The just there, people kicking aside the emotions of it directly and being concerned with, like, is she implanting memories in his head? What is she doing to control that him? Never even once occurred to me. Right, right. <laughs> Right. Not even I don't blame you. I don't blame you. Me neither. But I know that it's happening. So I, I felt like we should acknowledge it. That 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 line has secondary significance for the people that are speculating there's something more to it than that. Uh, she follows it up with another emotional line. Like, I know Trenton sent you that email because she could trust you. Same as I always have. And then Darlene exits. She lets Elliot continue on the train and Mr. Robot comes into frame. And then we have this great callback shot to season one where Elliot and Mr. Robot are sitting opposite each each other on a subway train uh, and they're talking about the the what they're going to do. They're talking about the hack. They're talking about the top 1% of the top 1%. Uh, they're talking about coming with me. And that, that continues and again into a season one callback shot where they're sitting on opposite sides of a subway platform bench, uh, which if you'll recall is something that happens in the pilot. And yeah. they're talking about these plans and the hack and the things that are happening. And now they're talking about undoing it. So the cyclical quality of this is really beautiful when you consider the context of the show uh and elliot at the end of that says hey by the way did you remember did you realize that i wasn't pushed i jumped did you know that uh and i think that that's fascinating i love that mr robot basically says in this scene he says like uh you know, I can't, uh, I can't do certain things. Like you, you're the one that knows why I'm here. I'm not sure if it's in this scene or in another one, but, uh, robot says, I can't force you, but I, I want to keep talking to you ultimately. Yeah. Whatever uh, happens after this, I want us to keep talking. I want to be a team. I know I can't force you. So I'm asking. Yeah. I love that. And I love that, that they're on a, they're, you know, when you talk about the reintegration, they come to a new understanding about their relationship with each other. And Mr. Robot in this episode is acknowledging himself as a manifestation of Elliot and he's acknowledging that there's so much of Elliot in him and he's not sure ultimately why he's there or what he needs to do only Elliot knows that uh, but he is he's a part of his personality that's trying to talk him down saying we're so close like you can't pull the ripcord now uh, who knows if this is going to really fix anything and I do think that there's some element of Mr. Robot that is correct in this in this moment and that Elliot maybe knows this and that on some level Elliot needs Mr. Robot or at least needs that kind conversation to happen uh, so that he doesn't just fully go off in one direction without Mr. Robot. And Elliot leaning into the Mr. Robot side of him is not good for anybody, but I think sometimes Elliot leading into the Elliot side of him is not good for anybody. And I think that's an ultimate lesson for this show. It was told over the course of this season. It was told at the beginning where it was like, maybe I realized that E-Corp is a necessary evil, necessary evil corp. Like maybe they're part of an equation that without them, society would be worse. And it was really idealistic of me to think that we'd be better off by taking them out. And we're actually worse. And I did that because of my own stupidity. And so Elliot's his own worst enemy, but he's also his own best friend. And I think that at the end of the day, you can't have either of those things existing without the other. And I think that that's a really powerful way to have that play out. And uh, I really like 
the just the way robots monologue is is being spoken over Elliot walking home here. I did this because Robot is admitting that he's the one who exported the key logs. And he's saying, I did it because what if we were wrong? What if there was something we weren't seeing? What if we failed? The real reason is it's something you would have done. You're right. There's only a part of you in me, or there's a part of you in me. I never wanted to tell you that because it's not in my nature. It's not why I exist. Only you know why I am here. I love this. This is like a, a greater realization of robot in Elliot's life, but then just by turn of, of what Elliot sees robots role in his life. This was Elliot talking to himself ultimately. So I think this is a uh, real growth for Elliot. And I think I'm, I, I mean, it's really exciting to see where these two could be going forward because we've not really seen them on this page like this uh, in the course of the history of the show. They were so oppositional over season two in season one, there was a trick that was being played where Elliot didn't know that there was this side of him that Elliot was manipulating. Manipulating, uh, Mr. Robot was manipulating Elliot, that Elliot was beholden to this aspect of his personality. We've, and, and throughout season three, they've been so op- uh, you know, separate. We've kept them apart, bringing them back together this way in the finale. And then what that means for the future of the show going forward is, is exciting for me. Uh, I, I really think it's a, a great turn for the show. And I, I can't wait to see where the story between the two of these characters plays out. Yeah, I think in terms of, you know, undoing the five nine hack, like what does that really do? I think like the really instructive thing is, is when Elliot responds to Mr. Robot, when Mr. Robot asks, who is this going to help? Elliot says, me, I'm doing this for me. I can't yes. live with what I did anymore. Uh, and you're wrong. They won't win because one good thing came from all of this. They showed themselves the top 1% of the top 1%, the ones in control, the ones who played God without permission. And now I'm going to take them down, all of them. And I think what Elliot is expressing here is his discomfort with playing God. His right. discomfort with the fact that he had that, um, the audacity to, to be, you know, e- even if he's not, you know, financially one of the top 1% of the top 1%, he, he acted from that place. Like he essentially he wanted to be a god. You know, he scaled Mount Olympus and threw thunder and destroyed part of the world. And if he can take that thunder back and, you know, even if that, you know, leaves behind still an imperfect place where debt still exists and everything that is discussed in the post credit scene between Darlene and her new friend. I think that for him, it's enough that, you know, the damage that he created, even if he's not fixing things, he's at least reverting things back to a status quo. And I think the lesson he's learned is the, the, the sheer audacity that I had to like single handedly in such an obstructive way change the shape of the world. Who am I to do something like that? And now my purpose is to come after the people who had that same hubris and who have been doing it and do it shamelessly and do it with yeah. that, without that level of examination. So. Yeah. Is undoing the 5-9 hack going to save the world by any stretch of the imagination? No, but what it's doing, even though it's, you know, there's certain aspects from that and, you know, many aspects from that, that, you know, there's just damage that can never be undone. Um, but he's at least reshaping the world closer to what it was beforehand, before he had, uh, you know, the, the gumption to, to do it himself, before he played God. He's uncomfortable with that idea from now on. And I think he's coming after the gods, you know, the, the final stretch of Mr. Robot here, I think, is Elliot Alderson, God Hunter, and that's very exciting. 
Yeah, and he he already came to terms with his own role in that, as you're saying. And now he, he got right with himself, and now he can get right with the rest of the universe. And now he can be in a better position to not be so oppositional, to not have his demons taking him down, and to not do these things. He's put a lot of that baggage to bed. We saw him do it in episode eight with regard specifically to Trenton and Mobley and his guilt over that. We've seen that growth from him in this season, and we're putting a, a button on it. We're putting an end on it. We're hitting enter uh, and, and sending that email. And we're really getting us to a position now where Elliot feels freed from a lot of the guilt and he is resetting the button on himself too. And I think that's interesting. And you want to talk about Elliot as a God, the Superman, the movie reference there where Superman is literally trying to rewind the world. So, so he can great. reset time. So yeah, great. Like, yes. Cause that's uh, the subtext of what white Rose is doing and Elliot is doing like there is, there is a lot of that there uh, when Elliot sees Superman in the window, there are the people that are watching that on the screens, but it, Elliot is doing it in his own world in the way that he can so that he can better position himself to take action in the future. And I think you're right to settle in on that. I'm doing it for me as an important line because it's important that Elliot get right into this position so that he can take the next step and to really exact what he needs to do. He's gone through a lot uh, and he's emerged from it. I think a, a person who's better off and who is better positioned to do these things. He's no longer literally beating himself up the side of himself that is preventing himself from doing that like in episode six, he they're, they're now just going to talk. Like, they're willing to talk. They're in the therapy stage. Uh, maybe they'll go to Krista together, Josh. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I want that badly. <laughs> I, think, I think that would be fantastic. I think that would yeah. be really great. I don't uh, know how that would work out, but that would be awesome. Yeah, but, you know, the mission now is, so they've revealed themselves, and let's go after them. And if we want to affect change, maybe the way to do it is to excise the cancerous parties, right? Like, to, to go to the top 1% of the top 1% and snip that out of existence, you know, wipe out the dark army, wipe out Philip Price, wipe out the people who are pulling these strings rather than trying to like reshape society as like, you know, one swooping move, like one sweeping move is like your, you know, your five, nine hack instead maybe something a little closer to what Irving did to Santiago, uh, you know, Elliot's version of that, of course, but wipe these people from the planet. And maybe in doing that, uh, you are going to create a new, you're, you know, you're going to bring things closer to the order that you were striving for in the beginning of this revolution. So really right. can't, really can't wait to see where all of that goes. Um, so obviously the episode ends with Elliot hitting, uh, hitting control enter, uh, the five, nine hack undone in that way. Uh, the post credit scene, which we've discussed at length already at the, at the start of this podcast with Fernando Vera. Very cool. Very fun to see that character back in the mix and really curious to see where they take it from there. Is there anything else about the finale or just anything at all? Uh, we should, we should hit on before we wrap up here and get ready for our final Mr. Robot podcast of the season coming up in a few days with Corradana. No, and I can't remember if this was in your column with Core or not, but I love the way that the the scenes were intercut with the barn and with uh, and with Angela and Price. I don't know if it was written that way or if that was something that they that they discovered in editing, but there are great moments of that, like where Price says she's murdered countless of people to fulfill this ridiculous fantasy, and then we see the next shot is Leon murdering countless people uh, in pursuance of White Rose's goals, and there are a lot of moments like that throughout that scene that I thought really 
really popped because of the way that those two things were intercut. And I thought that that just showed, again, the brilliance of Mr. Robot on that level. Uh, how about the music that Grant entered in, in entered into the show into? Uh, that was a great track. A lot of people feeling the Kill Bill vibes there. Uh, that was really, really good. So I was, uh, I was definitely a big fan of that entrance for Grant. That character got a pretty good send off, I think, and some great moments uh, throughout the course of this season. Uh, anything else, Josh? I don't know. Do you have anything else in your notes? No, I mean, I've been talking about Mr. Robot like for days now. It's really, <laughs> I feel like I've, I've said, I've said enough. Uh, but if you've got anything else, uh, you know, lay it out there, man. Uh, I'm just happy that you're, you're on the mend. You're thinking clearly. You're speaking articulately. You're your, your usual self, Antonio Mazzaro. No, yeah, I'm, I'm happy to be as well. And we will have the show with Corridana coming up next week. Uh, we'll still take some feedback. If there's enough feedback, maybe we could do a feedback show or we can share some of that feedback with Corridana. We have a couple pieces of feedback we didn't get to here today uh, that don't necessarily fit in the finale, but that are about maybe where we go in season four. So if you have feedback, you can always send it in. Uh, what's the email address again, Josh? That would be mrrobot at postshowrecaps.com or our feedback form is also a great way to get your questions to us. That is postshowrecaps.com slash feedback. Yeah, so I'd be open to uh, some more Mr. Robot talk. I know we're going to do at least one more show. Maybe we'll have more in the works. So if you have any feedback and you want us to to get to it, uh, you want to talk about season four at all, maybe we'll get to it at some point. Uh, just hit us up, send us that feedback, uh, and we'd certainly appreciate it. All right, so that's going to do it here. We've got one more podcast coming up with Corradana in just a couple of days. Very, very happy with season three overall. Uh, just a majestic season. This was something that we had gotten from Dominic Malpietti, your friend and mine, Antonio, who's said what a great season i personally think this is the best season so far how would you rank them uh hard for me to say antonio i i feel like season one is just untoppable for me but i i I loved this season so much uh that i that i certainly place it above two and the question for me is where it stands between uh against one and three but no matter what like this is this is just a spectacular season of TV. Like episode eight was just so damn good. The whole stage two movement was just ridiculous. This is this was an awesome season of Mr. Robot. Super satisfied with it. Yeah, it's hard to compare to season one because season one is propulsive but contained, uh, and it is it, it's on a much smaller level. We're talking global domination here. We're talking dimensions and time travel and uh, and and colliders and crazy projects and like just the we're, we're the the DNC and the presidential election and all these crazy things that were in the zeitgeist in season one, but weren't part of the plot of the show. So it's just a different show in season three. And it's hard to compare the two on that level. But uh, I really did love season three. Uh, The show has found this way to stick its neck out and take chances on individual episodes. Like we saw with episode five, uh, the episode that Corridana co-wrote that was so good from the single take presentation, the gut punch of the end of episode six, the absolute nuclear bomb to the feels. That was episode eight. Uh, there are so many great things that this show did over the course of this season. Uh, I really love the character of Irving. New characters introduced, old characters getting moments to shine. Uh, there wasn't really much about Mr. Robot season three that let me down. A great season in television. So happy to have had the chance to podcast with you about it, Josh, that our, our seasonal podcast throughout the season were on The Hollywood Reporter. That was always great. Uh, you had great access to people throughout the season. So uh, 
and I'm very thankful to everybody who listened and subscribed and sent us feedback. Um, they really help propel the podcast in the directions uh, that we didn't necessarily even want to take it or didn't think about taking it uh, with a lot of good questions or points or feedback. So we certainly appreciate that and all the online discussion and everybody participating that way too. All right. Great stuff, Antonio. Follow Antonio. He's on Twitter at AC Mazzaro. How many Z's? How many R's? Two Z's, one R, and one pretty bad cold. And I am at Round Howard, so follow me there. Keep the conversation going with us. We'll always be happy to talk robot with you guys. And we will be back with another podcast in just a few days. Thank you, friends. What a ride. It's been such a pleasure podcasting about this show for you guys all season long. And we're not quite done yet. So hang in there for just a little bit. Goodbye, friends. See you around, kid. <laughs> <laughs>